As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you light our lamp and enlighten our darkness. Your way is perfect and your word always proves true. You are a shield for all those who take refuge in you. So we pray that you would enlighten us now by the power of your spirit that we may know and keep your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. In most pew Bibles, I think you'll find that on page 732 between the books of Song of Solomon and Jeremiah. Isaiah 11, and we'll read together the first 10 verses. And think about how this passage gives us the hope of Christmas. So Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to read the first 10 verses, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Well, as we come, the calendar turns over to December, we want to think about, or we, whether we want to think about it or not, we're going to think about Christmas coming. Uh, we're reminded of that everywhere we go, and I think it's always a good time for God's people to give some thought and meditation on uh, the true meaning of Christmas, what it means for us to think about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world, that coming that was long looked for uh, by people, and Isaiah prophesied the day of his coming and longed for that day, and we have the privilege of knowing that that day has come with the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And so I think it's good for us to reflect on these passages, knowing so much more than Isaiah knew and being able to explain what he's talking about here. Um, And these are passages that were particularly precious to God's people because they came in a context where God's people were were experiencing great uh, distress and adversity. Uh, these were times of trouble for Israel uh, when, when Isaiah prophesied. 
there was trouble all around them. This is when the time of the Assyrian conquest was on the march in Israel. And the kings of Judah experienced that where in Hezekiah's time, the whole kingdom of Judah was pretty much taken by the Assyrians and all that was left was the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the kingdom had been so reduced. It was a really difficult time for the people of God. And it felt at times as if the, the hope that they had, especially the hope they had in the king, was perishing. Um, and really chapters 6 through 12 of Isaiah have a common theme together uh, that we see being worked out. Uh, themes that tell us important things about our God. Um, Isaiah 6 contains that that amazing theme that we are familiar with, whether we realize it's in Isaiah 6 or not, where Isaiah has that wonderful vision of the thrice holy God. Uh, You might remember that from Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Chapter 6 begins with this lofty vision of the Lord in his temple, high and lifted up, the holy God. And we remember that when Isaiah sees this picture of the holy God, his reaction is, woe is me. Um, And Isaiah chapter 6 begins a kind of section in this prophecy that carries forward through chapter 12. uh, And ends in chapter 12 with the words we used as a call to worship. And it tells us that something has changed. When Isaiah saw the Holy One of Israel high and lifted up, his reaction was, woe is me. Uh, What is the reaction to the Holy One of Israel that's recorded for us at the end of chapter 12? Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. When Isaiah saw the Holy One high and lifted up, it was reason for him to say, woe is me. What would happen if that Holy One were to not just stay high and lifted up, but come into the midst of his people? You might think, well, they would all say, woe is me. But you notice in chapter 12, that's not what they say. They shout for joy. They sing and rejoice when that holy, holy, holy one is in the midst of Israel. Something's changed, right? Something's taken place in that movement from chapter 6 to chapter 12 that has changed their reality, that has made the holy one dwelling with his people a source of rejoicing and joy. And what do we find that's happened? Well, God has relented over his judgment. God has comforted his people. And how does this happen? It's accomplished through the person of the king. The promised king who will come. Not like the failed kings we read about through chapters 6 through 12. This is all preparing us for chapter 11. This is all going somewhere. I haven't lost my train of thought. 
But it's all, it's all being accomplished in the person of the king. The king who in these chapters symbolizes both ruin and arising. Right? The, the sad note that begins chapter 6 is it's the year King Uzziah died. Now King Uzziah ended badly. But the pronouncement regarding King Uzziah was he was a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And it was always a tragic thing for the people of God when a king who'd done what was right in the eyes of the Lord died. Uh, Because you didn't always get another king after him like him. And we read in chapter 7 about another king, King Ahaz, who did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Who when the prophet Isaiah brought God open-handed to the king and said, The Lord is willing to give you anything you want. Ask for a sign. He'll give you anything you want. You just have to ask. And he said, I won't ask. I won't put the Lord to the test. Um, and it's a sign that he just won't believe in the promises of God. And it's in that chapter where Isaiah says, Okay, if you won't choose a sign, then the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive a bear and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel. It was a a recognition that God will raise up a son of David who will do what these failed sons of David continue to fail to do. In this chapter, it's a picture of ruin, but it's also a picture of hope that someone is coming who will set things right. A king is coming. And that's where we come in chapter 11. We are reminded of that glorious truth that God has proclaimed, that out of that kingdom that's become just a big stump, Uh, will come a new kind of king. Not just a good king, but the good king. Uh, The king who will be a new David from the house of Judah. That's really the story of this passage. From this, this kingly line that has been so reduced, the Lord will raise up a king whose coming will change everything. And that really is the hope of Christmas. Here comes that King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in His coming changes everything. And that's what we want to think about from Isaiah chapter 11 to draw that comfort. Uh, We see the images of God's judgment and restoration in terms of this person of the King, the promise of a new day that is dawning for the people of God. Um, And so what do we see in this chapter? We want to see first His rise from ruin. That's the picture that Isaiah gives us. This king will rise from ruin. And then we have a glorious picture of his rule and his realm. And then we end with a promise of his root and his rest. That's how we want to think about this passage together. His rise from ruin, his rule and his realm, and finally his root and his rest. This is a story of rise from ruin. Uh, What do you think, boys and girls, when you see just a stump of a tree? Uh, You think of a tree that's been cut down, a tree that maybe isn't good for much anymore. And that's where we begin in this passage with a stump of a tree. And you can tell that this tree used to be a great tree. It used to be a big tree. When I was a kid, we went to Calaveras County where they have big trees, sequoias, redwoods, And they had a tree there that had been cut down. And the tree was so big that they could use the stump as a dance floor. And that's what they did after they'd cut this tree down. It was maybe 15, 20 feet across. 
And so you see this stump that they use as a dance floor. It's big enough for people to dance on. And you think, what that tree must have looked like when it was standing. Uh, What a great tree that must have been. But now you only see its stump. A reminder of the greatness that was, but is no more. That's the picture that begins chapter 11. The stump of Jesse. What does that represent? Well, David was a king from the line of Jesse. was his father. And so saying, this is a stump of that Davidic kingdom. But the good news that Isaiah brings is even though it's a stump, it's a picture of a great kingdom reduced, uh, there is still life in that stump. Right? What do we see in that picture in verse 1? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Maybe just a little green growth poking out of that stump. But if you saw a stump and it had just a little green growth coming out of that, what would it tell you about that stump? It would tell you it's still alive. That there's still life in those roots. And that branch that Isaiah sees becomes fruit-bearing. So that there's movement in what he sees in verses one and two, there shall be, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So there's movement from just a shoot to a branch, a sapling, maybe we could say, bearing up enough to be a fruit-bearing tree, to have enough strength to bear fruit. It's continuing growth that we see, continuing strength that we see, until it can become fruit-bearing. That's a picture of a living tree bearing fruit, a rise, a maturing, uh, till this time of strength will come. And as Isaiah is picturing this, what is that new growth meant to picture to us? It's to picture a coming king. This king is coming from the stump of Jesse, from the line of David. This is that Davidic promise. This also is what the prophets were filled with, this hope for a new kind of king to come. Um, even the good kings, sometimes they would say, you know, he was, a, he was a good king, but he failed to do X, Y, and Z. He failed to tear down the high places. Overall, he was a good king, but he failed to do certain things. Um, Praise is reserved for Josiah and Hezekiah, who were two great kings, great reformer, restorer kings. And when you wanted to say the best thing you could say about a king, you would say, there's been no one like him since David. Because David is the high watermark for kings. And if you wanted to say the best thing you could say about a king of Judah, you would say, there's been no one like him since David. He was the great king. And what were God's people always hoping for? What were the prophets hoping for? That new king who would come who would be not just, you know, measure up to David, but would be like David or greater. The new David that God's people were hoping for. The prophets are filled with that. Uh, Isaiah is alluding to it here. Jeremiah talked about it in Jeremiah 30 verse 9. The hope that they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Ezekiel talked about it, Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24. And God said, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. 
and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. We heard that from Hosea chapter 3. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. All of these people writing centuries after David died. What are they hoping for? They're hoping for the Messiah, the new David who would come. That Messiah, that anointed one is what it means. Who would come and who would be the king that God's people really needed. Who would be like David, only greater. Uh, The kind of king who will come and even David would call him Lord. This is what they were hoping for, this anointed one, this Messiah who would come and deliver God's people. And that's the vision that Isaiah is seeing here. He is the anointed one. The one who is anointed with the Holy Spirit. Anointed with the Holy Spirit so that he can be the king God's people need. What is the hope of this this one who grows up from the stump of Jesse who comes into the world? He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit will rest upon him. Uh, That's the significance when John the Baptist sees Jesus in the world and points out Jesus as the one on whom he saw the Holy Spirit descend. That's significant for John the Baptist to say, that is the one we've been looking for. The one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is his testimony in John chapter 1, verse 32 through 34. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. What was the proof to him? The Spirit is upon him and remained upon him. That is my all I need to know. That here is the Son of God, the promised one come into the world. He's anointed with the Spirit. And what does the Spirit equip him to do? Well, this passage is filled with that. What does the Spirit equip this king to do? We're in verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He's equipped with wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit. This king will be equipped with a perfect mind. He knows everything that he needs to know. He understands what is truly right. Um, What a king to have, someone who has a perfect mind to know and understand what is right. This king will also be equipped with a spirit of counsel and might. A perfect might that's carried by this king. These same words appear in Isaiah 36.5 together. And there we translate them strategy and power for war. This is a king who will know how to wage war. And will have the power to wage war. He'll have the power to enforce justice. He will have perfect might. And he will have a perfect heart. Because the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord will be upon him. This is someone who sees himself as he is before the Lord. 
Someone who sees himself as he is before the Lord. Knows the Lord. And knows what's required of him as the Lord's servant. It's a picture of devotion. Of commitment. And that truly is what we see from the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes into the world. A perfect mind. Right? He knows all things. Perfect might. He can do all things. Um, And a perfect heart. His delight is in the things of the Lord. And that's what we read about his rule and his realm. When this king comes, when he's risen from ruin, what kind of rule and realm can we expect of a king who is endowed and anointed by the Holy Spirit in this way? Well, we can expect with a king who has a perfect mind and a perfect might and a perfect heart, a perfect rule. He'll be a king unlike any other king who's ever come. His rule will be perfect. One of the great functions of the king was to serve as judge. uh, To enforce justice in the kingdom. To make sure that justice was done. And that's who this king will be. That's really the promise of verses 3 through 5. The king will be a perfect enforcer of justice. And the people can hope in him because first and foremost, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Here's a king who finds delight wherever he finds true devotion to God. Um, that's a blessed thing for a kingdom to have. One who, is, who, who has his delight is in the fear of the Lord and he delights in all those who fear the Lord. That was not always the case with kings in Israel. King Ahab did not delight in those who feared the Lord. Uh, Made you a target in his kingdom if you feared the Lord. Not so this one who's coming. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. It means if you love the Lord, the king delights and cherishes you because of it. It's pleasing in his sight. Those who fear the Lord are friends of the king. And the rule he brings is one of absolute and perfect justice. He can minister perfect justice because he knows all. He doesn't have to judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear because he knows everything. This is a king who is omniscient, who knows all truth. This also identified the Lord Jesus Christ as this kind of king. He knew all. He knew it was in the heart. That's something amazing that John the that John tells us in John 2, 23-25. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. He didn't need anyone to bear witness. You know, there have been a number of famous trials in the news lately And people have wondered, you know, will they get all the evidence right? Will they get the outcome right? You know, how will this go? How will people react to it? There's none of that for this kind of judge. He doesn't need witnesses. He knows the truth. Knows the truth in himself. Um, Knows what the truth is and has the ability to give justice to all. One of the glories of this kingdom is that all will receive justice. But who are highlighted here. Um, The poor and the meek. Verse 4, with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This will be a rule and a realm unlike any other 
in the history of the world where all people receive justice. Even the people who are usually overlooked. Um, The little people of the world are often overlooked in the world's justice. The great people of the world have little time for small people. Um, Not this king. All those will get it, especially those who need it the most. Right? That's the sad thing when the poor and the marginalized get overlooked is they're the people who need justice the most. Um, what is this saying here? Those who need it the most will receive it in this kingdom that's coming. Um, this king will see that justice is done and he has the power in himself to enact that justice. Um, he has no lack of power to enforce justice in the world. Notice that he needs no sword or scepter but the word of his mouth. That's power. All he needs is the power of his word. That's the force of the second part of verse 4. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. All he needs is his voice. There's power in his word. That too is a sign of divinity in this king. Who else has power just in his word? Um, you know, we live in a world where people are always talking and tweeting and all kinds of things, and they, they mistake that for action. They think, well, I tweeted about it. I've done something about it. Our words don't have that kind of power. Here's one who has, whose words have power. That too is what we saw of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes into the world. His word has power. He just has to say it and it happens. He can tell the wind and the waves to be silent and they obey. He can tell the lame person, get up and walk and they walk. He can tell the blind person, see and they see. He can say to the dead, get up and they get up. He can say to the sinner, you're forgiven and you're forgiven. That's the power of his word. That's the power of the king. That's all the power he needs to do justice in his kingdom, to rule in this way, dressed as he is for righteousness and faithfulness. And as a result of that kind of rule, his realm is glorious. A king who can perfectly do justice, who can lift up everyone who is downcast, who can restore everyone who is broken, who can hunt out wickedness wherever it's found until he finds none of it. What kind of a world is that when the king brings it about? It's a glorious world. That's what Isaiah sees here. Maybe he sees it in ways that sound kind of strange to us. Maybe we think of a glory of a world restored like that. The first thing we would think of maybe is not what Uh, we read in verse 6 that the wolf will dwell with the lamb. Um, Boys and girls, you know that's not true, right? In our world, we all know the story of the three little pigs. When the big bad wolf comes knocking on the door, pigs shouldn't let him in, right? Not even if he pretends to be, oh, wee little lamb, please let me in. You still shouldn't let him in because what do wolves do to pigs? They eat them. That's what wolves did to lambs. But Isaiah sees a world that's changed. 
where the wolf could come knocking on Mr. Lamb's door and he'll say, come on in, stay for a while. And nothing bad happens. They live happily ever after. That's a different world than the world we know. Um, This is the opposite of every nature video you've seen where leopards can dwell with goats and lions can walk with calves and little children can lead them. It's a picture of all the old hostilities in the world restored. The whole order changed permanently where the cow and the bear both graze and generation after generation of their young lie down together. This isn't a, a temporary change. It's a, it's a lasting change in the order. And the height of that change is really seen in that last verse, verse 8. Um, where children will play with snakes. Why is that sort of the height of the old hostilities reversed? The seed of the woman can play with the serpent. And there's no harm. There's no harm anymore. Nobody's hurt. None can hurt or destroy in all the holy mountain anymore. The whole world has become the holy mountain of God. Why? Because of the king. He will not allow any more hurt any more destruction. He has made the whole world his holy hill. This is the glory of his realm. And what is it that has brought the world to this condition? What can change the world like this? Notice what's brought about that change. The whole world is filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The whole world is filled with with the knowledge of the Lord. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As full as the seas are with water, so full is the world with the knowledge of God, and that has changed everything. That has changed everything. But before that, peace can fill the earth, Uh, Before that great and glorious change can come, something else must come. Before the king fills the earth with his glory, he must first go through the shameful death on the cross. And I know our our time is far gone, so we'll, we'll make this short. But verse 10 is so important for recognizing what will happen before this glory comes. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's Of him the nations shall inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Notice the one who grew out of Jesse's root is now the root of Jesse. Why is that? Because we've been revealed that this is the Lord who brought David into the world, who will bring this new David into the world. And when he comes into the world in that day, what will he do? He will stand as signal for his people. Means he'll be lifted up as a banner, as a rallying point. For the people, and of him the nations will inquire. And when did that happen? When is the king lifted up like that? It's on the cross. It's on the cross. John gets into this in in John 12 in the triumphal entry, but Jesus knows that the hour for him to be glorified has come when the nations come looking for him. The Pharisees see this acclamation of him as king and they say, the whole world is going after him. And then the world comes looking for him. Greeks come and they say, we would see Jesus. And Andrew, 
Peter take these Greeks to see Jesus? And he says, now has come, the time has come for the Father to glorify me. Now I will be lifted up and draw all nations to myself. Where did Christ stand signal as the banner for people to come to him? It was at his cross. It's the cross of Christ that draws all people to this king. It's where all nations can come and find what he's promised, which is rest. Which is rest. Because what does Isaiah say about his resting place? It shall be glorious. Really, glorious is not a description there, it's the noun. His resting place is glory. That's what all find who come to the cross of Christ. They will find rest in his glory. That's the hope that comes at Christmas. The Lord has come into the world. The one of whom the nations will inquire. His resting place will be glory. And his rule will transform the world. That's the hope of Christmas. A new day has dawned for the people of God. With the coming of this king, everything is about to be changed. That's the hope that's held out for us. And his rule and reign will be glorious. And his rest will be glory. Um, This is worth taking time to think about. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And the promise of his coming which should assure us that everything Isaiah saw will come to pass. That the world will be changed. And we will live in that glorious future he saw because of Christ who came, who died, who lived again, and is coming again soon. May he come quickly. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to be our King. We know that even the prophets who longed to see his coming and saw him uh, dimly through the revelation they were given in their time, uh, still could not have imagined the glory of the Lord's coming and what he will do when he comes again. We're thankful to know that this king reigns now, that he is enthroned in heaven and they've given him all authority in heaven and on earth, that he is the king now, and that even though we don't now see all things in subjection to him, we do see Jesus through the eyes of faith and through the words of scripture. And so in this Christmas season, help us to fix our eyes on Christ, to be reminded that his coming has changed everything and that his coming again soon in glory will change all things and make our rest glory. We long for that day, Lord. May it come quickly. And when it comes, may you find us faithful. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name.